Would you stand with me and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41 as we read God's Word together and continue our ongoing studies through the Bible's first book. Uh, We come today to a large text, chapters 40 and 41, uh, which by my count is some 80 verses we want to cover in our sermon this morning, as so often happens, particularly in Old Testament narrative. One long story is there to tell one simple point. And I think we're going to see that in the life of Joseph along the way. And to get us going, what I want to do is read the first 16 verses of chapter 41. 16 verses that give us the occasion for Joseph's famous rise to power. 16 verses that represent Joseph's big break. 16 verses also that show us how it is that God plans to save his people, the nation of Israel, through this suffering servant named Joseph. So let me read these verses for us, verses 1 through 16 of chapter 41, and then pray for our time and we will begin. So let us hear now as God speaks to us through his word. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. And Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. And a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted it to us, it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would send your spirit among us this morning, that we would find our eyes open to behold beautiful things, wonderful things from your law, that you would open our hearts as well, that we might respond to it with faith and repentance. Help us to hear with meekness. Help me to preach with courage and clarity, as you say I must, that you might do good to us through this truth, and that we might glorify your name. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Sometime last week, I woke in the wee hours of the morning and noticed something was wrong. My wife wasn't in bed with me. It's not normal for Emily to be up at that time of the morning. And so I got up, and when I eventually found her, I asked her, hey, is everything okay? And as so often happens, you know, a spouse, you can look into uh, the eyes of your loved one, and you can see so much communicated just in the look in your eyes. And, you know, I looked Emily in the eyes. I could tell there was this kind of sense of alertness, but also this kind of sense of alarm. And she said, I had a dream. And maybe you've had an experience like that before. You know, a dream wakes you up in the wee morning hours, and it's so shocking, maybe it's so disturbing, perhaps even so moving that you just can't go back to sleep. Or maybe it's one of those dreams that you had many, many years ago, and it came to you with such clarity you can still remember its details today, maybe decades later. Or perhaps one of those dreams that almost seemed prophetic in your own life, as it was pictured before you in a night vision, seemed to come true within a short amount of time. Or maybe you even are one of those people, or you know some of those people that dream a recurring dream. Maybe it's one of the difficult dreams, a nightmare that seems to show up quite frequently. So much so that when you lie in bed at night, you wonder, is that dream going to come along tonight and wake me up yet again? Now kids, you know, don't you, that dreams are powerful, aren't they? Dreams can terrify, dreams can excite, dreams can confuse, dreams can lead to humiliation, dreams can lead to exaltation. At least in Joseph's life. Because we've seen in recent weeks how two dreams put him in the pit. We see today how two dreams brought him into the palace. This dreamer and dream interpreter rises from the pit to the palace all according to God's sovereign grace. And the main point that you want to see in today's text, which really is the good news gospel truth, is that God remembers and delivers his people. God remembers and delivers His people because there's a tension right in the middle of our passage. Notice verse 23 of chapter 40. We're told the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. We'll work out some of the chronology along the way, but certainly by that point in Joseph's life, he has at least been in Potiphar's prison for 10 years. Probably closer to 11. And he remains, for all intents and purposes, Forgotten. Does God remember His people? Again, the good news of our passage, God remembers and delivers His people. And you might be in here today and you are wondering maybe a similar question. Does God remember me? Has God forgotten me? Maybe like Joseph, so many years in your life have passed by without any sort of clear action, clear direction, clear kindness from God that you're beginning to wonder Will he ever raise me up as if I was on eagle's wings? Our text today is here to comfort you. To say that for those of you that belong to Jesus Christ, he will remember you. He does deliver you. And if you're in here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, that is the simple point you must see today. That there is only one person. There is only one God who always remembers his people. Who never forgets and is ultimately powerful to deliver them from their greatest affliction and difficulty. So to kind of capture that truth, we're going to walk through chapter 40 under the heading of forgotten by man. Because that's Joseph's experience. Chapter 40 is forgotten by man. Chapter 41, remembered by God. So Joseph is going from forgotten to remembered in the sweep of our passage. And notice how it begins, forgotten by man, verse 1 of chapter 40. Sometime after this, 
the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their Lord, the king of Egypt. Now, students, when you see phrases at the beginning of a section that say something like, sometime after this, you should ask questions like, sometime after what? So what was it that we saw last week? Chapter 39, Joseph is ruling over Potiphar's house. It was genuinely a position of power and prominence. But Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of a sin, of a crime. Joseph is wrongly thrown into prison. And there he is. Sometime after this, two men come into his charge. Because if you notice through the next few verses, he's essentially like the, the prison warden of sorts. The captain of the guard has put him in charge of all the prison. And Pharaoh's cupbearer and chief baker arrive. Now, kids, I want you to think about a cupbearer and a chief baker with me for a minute. Because you might read this story, and perhaps you've read the story before and thought, ah, that's not very significant positions these two men would have held in Pharaoh's palace. But what you need to know is that they actually were incredibly significant positions in Pharaoh's palace. Because ancient eastern rulers were always in fear and trepidation of what? Being killed. Assassinated. And what was perhaps the most ordinary way that such rulers were killed in the ancient world? Poison. And how would they be poisoned? With drink or food. So the cupbearer and the chief baker were there to be basically the vetters of the poison, among other things. But most essentially and significantly, they're there to make sure that the pharaoh, the king, the leader, doesn't get killed via poison. And the text tells us they sinned against Pharaoh, which actually in context of that culture could be something as simple as Pharaoh got sick after a meal. I suppose maybe there was some nefarious business going on with the food or the drink. So into the prison, the chief baker and the cupbearer go until I figure out what to do with them. But Joseph clearly has some sort of relational ability with these men. He sees them wake up in the morning and notices, you'll see in verse 6, that they were troubled. And they tell him they each had this dream. They each had a different dream. And dreams in the ancient world were very significant. We mentioned that in recent weeks. Uh, It was an ordinary way the ancient Eastern people believed that the divine being, the God, would communicate to them. So everyone took dreams very seriously. And there's even many people that had something of kind of an amateurish hobby of dream interpretation. And so it seems like these two officials of Pharaoh, they take the dreams... And in their own amateurish way, they think that it portrays bad news. That's why they're troubled. And so Joseph says, hey, is there anything I can do for your downcast soul? And look at what they say in verse 8. We've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. Joseph offers his dream interpretation services, right? Or really, it's God's interpretation services. Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. And, you know, I wonder if some of you might be like the prisoners in this passage. You might be looking for guidance. You might be looking for direction about your future. And you can't find anyone to guide you, to direct you. Joseph reminds us that, of course, only God can guide and direct his people. It's only God that can give the insight, the discernment that so many of us need, the light and the darkness. Well, the dreams now come. Look at the cupbearer's dream in verse 9 through 11. He says to Joseph, in my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, 
its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Students, if you can kind of capture that entire dreamlike sequence and image, what do you think that dream would represent? be kind of difficult, you probably would think. But in God's hands, Joseph makes quick work of it, doesn't he? The interpretation of the two dreams hinges on the word lift. He says, in three days, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head. You're going to be restored to your office. Now, remember, they're thinking that the dreams portray bad news, portends uh, something negative and potentially evil. And so the chief baker hears this favorable answer, and he's like, well, maybe it's good news for me too. I'll share my dream to Joseph as well. And look what he dreamed in verse 16 and following. He says, I also had a dream and there were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Whereas the cupbearer, his head is going to be lifted up and restored to his office. Joseph says, in three days time, Mr. Chief Baker, your head is going to be lifted off. You're going to be hanged three days from now on Pharaoh's birthday, no less. And it all comes true. But something that was promised actually doesn't happen. Look at verse 14, the favor that Joseph had asked of the cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. So get me out of this house. I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. I've done nothing here that they should put me in the pit. But again, attention is ramping up, verse 23. Yet, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. It's almost as though in the passing of the story, the 11th year begins. There lies Joseph, still in the pit of prison, forgotten by man. Last year, my family and I, we went up to a vacation in Colorado. And, you know, as you often do with so many young kids like we have, we take them out to a mountainous hiking trail and just let them have fun to exhaust their energy and, and get all the kind of, you know, amateurish testosterone out so they can take a good nap in the afternoon. And we let the older ones kind of disappear down this one particular trail, a little bit out of sight as they were playing these imaginative pretend games and after a certain while, we kind of gave them the shout of, hey, it's time to go. And two of the three come back. And we say, hey, where's, where's your brother? I don't know. I haven't seen him in a while. And so I go and search for the missing son and, and found him pretty quickly. Uh, but he was underneath this kind of rocky overhang. And in that cave-like structure, he had his knees tucked to his chest. And he had this kind of forlorn look on his face. And I said, son, what are you doing? He said, I thought you forgot about me and left me. I said, son, we don't forget you. We won't leave you. And the same way what our passage is telling us is God doesn't forget his children, even when they feel like he does. Because notice verse 1 of chapter 41, after two whole years, that's all that we're told about 24 months in Joseph's life. Two whole years passed by without any mention of God acting in Joseph's life. Maybe you know that experience. 24 months, perhaps even 24 years goes by. That doesn't seem like God is doing anything for you. Well, God is getting ready to act now. 
13 years after he was sold into slavery. At the age of 17, now at the age of 30, Joseph is going to find God act for him. And again, it's through two dreams. Two dreams put him in the pit. Two dreams are going to bring him out of the, into the palace. Look at the dreams of Pharaoh, verse 1 through 7 once again. Pharaoh dreamed. Behold, there came out of the Nile seven attractive cows that were plump, and they fed in the reed grass. Behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up from the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. My kids, you might say, I would awake too after such a sight like that. These skinny little cows chewing up big, fat cows. What is all that about? Boy, he falls back asleep. Has a similar dream, doesn't he? This time, it's seven years of grain, verse 5 and following, plump and good were growing on one stalk, and behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. He knows, like everyone would have thought at that time, that that dream, those dreams, meant to communicate something significant. But look at what Pharaoh feels in verse 8. We're told that in the morning his spirit was troubled. Uh, the word there in Hebrew, it's a, it's a rare one. It means something like pulsing or beating. And he's going throughout the land of Egypt, trying to get someone who can interpret this dream. And he can't find anyone in the country to calm his beating heart, which is somewhat of an own poke in the eye of the gods of Egypt in a subtle way, because you might know that pharaohs were understood to be divine beings, godlike figures who possessed the power of dream interpretation. And here's Pharaoh. Unable to do anything about his dream. And again, it's at that moment, almost like, you know, the snap of spiritual fingers wakes up the cupbearer. And he says, wait, I remember. There's this young Hebrew in the prison that interpreted my dream. You you should go find that guy. I'll go get him for you. Let's go get this guy and he'll interpret your dream. So look at verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they quickly brought him out of the pit. When he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. So here's Joseph, all cleaned up for the occasion in Pharaoh's court. And Pharaoh says, I've heard you can interpret dreams. I heard that you have the power of revealing the truth, often hidden to the ordinary human. Well, look what Joseph's response is in verse 16. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. That reminds me of a story of Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher of the 19th century. Supposedly one day he gave an incredible sermon before his congregation. One of the members came out afterwards and said, you know, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. That's the best sermon you've ever preached. And as only Spurgeon could respond, he said, I know. The devil told me that 10 minutes ago. Because Spurgeon knew what Joseph knew. All good in Revelation comes from God. It's not in me. It's in God. That can give you the word you desire. Even the word here is something like a full word. It's interpreted in the ESV as a a favorable interpretation. It actually even uses the language of peace. It's something about Pharaoh's well-being. It's the, your, your heart is beating. And God alone can comfort and can calm your heart. So Pharaoh recounts the two dreams. 
Joseph makes simple work of the interpretation, doesn't he? Look at verse 25. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Now, if you know the story, you know it's a rather simple explanation that there's seven years of fullness in the land are soon to be swallowed up by seven years of famine. And Joseph says, it is certain that this is what your next 14 years are going to look like, Pharaoh. Look at verse 32. The doubling of Pharaoh's dream means the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. This is what's going to happen in your country. And now Joseph, kind of on his own initiative, maybe you can commend him for his gumption or wonder about the sanity of what he's getting ready to say. He takes it upon himself to tell Pharaoh what Pharaoh should do about these next 14 years he's about to experience. Now remember, Joseph is the guy summoned summarily from the prison just a few hours before. And here he is acting like the royal advisor to Pharaoh. But like every good prophet and proper preacher, he's just simply moving from what? Interpretation to application. He says, here's what you need to do. Seven years of fullness. Just tax the people 20%. Store all of that in some storehouses. So when the seven years of famine come, you have plenty to feed the people. Now what you really need to do is appoint someone to oversee that entire project. Uh, You need to appoint what we would probably call something today like a prime minister to oversee that part of the government's work. The technical title of the time would have been the Grand Vizier. Well, the... Proposal pleases Pharaoh. Look at verse 37 and 38. It pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Pharaoh's spirit is troubled. Joseph's spirit is godlike, is what Pharaoh seems to recognize. You'll see in the next verse, he says, Joseph himself has shown a uh, discernment and wisdom, unlike anything he's ever noticed before. So here's what I'm going to do, Joseph. You're going to be the prime minister. You're going to be the grand vizier who's going to oversee all of this, so much so that you're going to be second only to me. I'm going to sit on the throne. Essentially, you're going to do everything else in my name. So he gives Joseph his clothes. He gives him these symbols of authority. And again, to underscore this incredible, rapid transformation, look at verse 44. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. You see it, I hope. God has remembered and delivered his people. Gone from a prisoner to being prime minister. Gone from the pit to the palace. Such is the amazing work of God. If you scan your eyes through the rest of the chapter, essentially it tells us that everything Joseph said was going to come true came true. Seven years of food follow. After that, seven years of famine begin. Look at verse 53 and 54. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but all the land of Egypt there was bread. Such is the man who is forgotten by others, yet remembered by God, delivered, remembered, restored from the pit. To the palace. There's this. A musical. In our country. That some of you know about. Called Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. That tries to. uh, Capture something of the Joseph story in Genesis. And there's a point. In that adaptation of this story. Where the narrator. Speaks to Joseph. While he's in prison. 
And the narrator says, I've read the book, and I know you come out on top. Well, of course, we know that Joseph didn't get to read that book. He didn't know after 13 years that he was going to come out almost literally on the top of Egypt. It's why you want to underscore his amazement and the naming of his children that comes in verse 50 through 52. And that's how I want to begin to close out our time as we continue to meditate upon the God who remembers and delivers His people. I want to underscore the grace of His remembrance. The the grace of His deliverance. Because the names of these children prove it. You need to see, first of all, God's grace of forgetfulness. Look at verse 50 and 51. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Joseph called the name of his firstborn son Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. You could almost think at this point that you would expect Joseph to say something like he's forgotten God. Certainly externally speaking, he would have looked like he did. He now looked like an Egyptian. He has an Egyptian name. He has an Egyptian wife whose father was a priest, which would mean that Joseph was actually a prophet, a priest, and a king. In Egypt. He spoke the Egyptian language more than the Hebrew language. He had Egyptian citizenship. He had Egyptian status. He had Egyptian power. For all intents and purposes, Joseph was an Egyptian. But he names his children with Hebrew names, not Egyptian names, underscoring the reality that he continues to trust in Yahweh, who is the covenant making and covenant keeping God of the Hebrews. He names his first son Manasseh. It sounds like Hebrew for forget. God has made me forget. All my affliction. Do you know that in Christ Jesus, that same uh, promise belongs to you? God will make you forget all of your affliction. Now, students, do you think in this point in Joseph's life, when he's closer to 40 years old, that he actually has forgotten all of his affliction? Of course not. But what he is saying is God's grace, the God who remembered and delivered him, God's grace has taken away all of the sting. All of the shock, all of the harm, all of the hurt of those afflictions. Some of you, like Jacob, may have to wait 20 years to find the grace of God's forgetfulness. Some of you might wondrously have to only wait 20 days to find the grace of God's forgetfulness. But I can promise you that there is a time coming when all of God's people will forget all of their afflictions. When Christ returns and the new heavens and the new earth come with Him. Swallowing up all of your sorrows. Swallowing up all of your sufferings. Such is the grace of this God. This is not his grace of forgetfulness. It's also his grace of fruitfulness. Notice what he names the second son. Verse 52. Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Ephraim sounds like twice fruitful or making fruitful. The point is, it's in the land of my suffering I have been fruitful. And some of you know right now that it's in the land of affliction that God's people tend to abound most in fruitfulness. They tend to grow most in godliness. That his rod of affliction, his surprising suffering, tends to make his people most fruitful for his kingdom. So perhaps you're like Joseph and you're in the pit of despair and the slew of despond and you wonder if God remembers you and you hear the good news that yes, God does remember you promise in Jesus Christ that he will deliver you. See here that we know how this story goes. 
we've read this book before. And all of God's people come out on top in the end. And they come out on top through a deliverer. Through a redeemer who remembers his people. Because what the text is telling us is not simply that God remembers and delivers his people. It's really more preparing us for how God remembers and delivers his people. Or more pointedly, through whom God is going to remember and deliver his people, Israel. Look at verse 55. When all the land of Egypt was famished and the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Go to the suffering servant now made exalted ruler and he alone can feed you. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? A Christianity, the gospel, the good news that we love so much. You can summarize with three words, can't you? Go to Jesus. Who's what? The suffering servant. Now made exalted ruler. Who alone can feed you? Joseph gave them bread. Jesus himself is the bread. Jesus himself is God's grace. God will deliver you. Perhaps then the question that you must need to ask today is, have you gone to Jesus? Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we do ask that your comforting mercies and grace would minister to us in the various ways that we most need it. Lord, we know that some in the room need the grace of forgetfulness and affliction. Some need the grace of fruitfulness in the land of affliction. Some need to be remembered. Some need to be delivered. And we pray that by your Spirit, everyone would go to Jesus that they might find such grace. That they might find such comfort and kindness that swallows up all the sorrows, that restores and provides in surprising ways. And we do pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Surely.